Welcome to the Rap Race to Buy podcast, where we discuss money, mindset, real estate investing, and ways to achieve financial independence. Whether you are a rookie or a veteran needing new ideas for investing or creating side hustles, you're in the right place. Here to challenge you to think out of the box, your hosts, Felipe Mejia and Diego Corzo. All right, so today, guys, we have Felipe Mejia, the co-host. I'm going to be interviewing him, and he's going to be sharing a little bit, a little bit about his story, uh, his background, where he's going to be going in the future, uh, the lessons learned from his real estate journey, business journey. So very, very excited. Uh, what's up, Felipe? What's up, Diego? Man, yeah, I'm excited to share my story. Uh, I think a lot. Of, I've, I've interviewed a lot of people. Me and you both have, actually, and we've done a lot of podcasts we've done a lot of speaking engagements but rarely do we like just kind of like talk about ourselves and our story um, so i'm excited to kind of dig into that a little bit uh, for those that don't know me my name is felipe uh, i've been podcasting for about a year and a half now i uh, used to be on the rookie show and now diego and i do our own rat race to five podcast um, i'm an investor with about 30 plus doors um, we have oh my goodness uh, maybe 2 million in real estate, maybe more, uh, been investing for five or six years now and, uh, really love what I do. Aside from that, uh, I have a mastermind with Diego Corzo it's called rat race to Fi. A lot of people think my passion is real estate and that's really easy to interpret that way. But I think honestly, my passion is, uh, kind of teaching others what real estate can do for them and the roadmap that real estate can put you on. Uh, to reaching your goals, whether it's financial independence, uh, whether it's paying off debt, whether it's helping your parents retire, uh, helping your parents in other countries or whatever the case may be. I think real estate's a great avenue to do that. So my passion is actually teaching others how to invest in real estate. I'm also a father. Um, I got a, I got a little guy. Uh, he's three and a half, going to be four, married. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of what I do. Cool, cool, dude. And it's really, it's, uh, it's cool that I'm interviewing you now, and earlier in the podcast, you interviewed me, but the reason why we met was because you heard me on a podcast and I heard you on a podcast. So everything goes full circle. Uh, yeah, it's, it, and then from there, we've created different businesses and everything, which has been awesome. So what, in your journey to financial independence, right? Mm -hmm. Of course, real estate, but what was, what was that thing for you in the beginning, um, like, that took you from like that makes you who you are right like whether it is first what took you what made you realize that you wanted financial independence uh but also what is the background uh that got you there yeah absolutely i think for me uh one of the one of the biggest things was seeing my parents get divorced and then the struggle that my mom went through uh you know for example she when my parents got divorced in the Latino culture, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but it's just kind of the way it is. Um, you know, the, 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 the male figure makes the money, the mom, the female figure stays at home, kind of takes care of house, raises kids. And that's not always the situation, but, but some of the times it is. So in our situation, that was the case. And when our parents got divorced, the money went with uh, my dad. Now, the one thing here in the United States different, though, is that, um, uh, you know, the court system gave my mom the house. Uh, mm. So a house a real estate, a piece of property can be an asset or a liability depending on how you use it. So 
a lot of the times what happens in divorces in America is the woman gets the house but then loses it because she can't afford to make payments. So what mm-hmm. my mom did in this situation was she house hacked our basement and garages into living spaces for traveling construction workers in Tennessee. Uh, and that's how we were able to pay our mortgage. So when I saw my mom convert our biggest uh, liability, which was our mortgage, into a asset, um, that's where the light bulb kind of went off. Now, obviously, at that age, I was 12 or 13, so I couldn't do anything with that knowledge, but it was always there, and it was embedded. So I knew that one day I might be able to use that to my advantage. Yeah, that's and it's interesting because at that point, it's sort of you, you saw it early on, and mm-hmm. in interesting, like like from what you were saying, my my parents got divorced for two years, and in that time too, we also had roommates. So me and my brother, we would sleep in one bedroom, and then my mom, she she found another roommate. <laughs> so uh, so it was just it's interesting because that is what gets ingrained in us, and I feel like it makes it easy for us at least. For me, when I started house hacking too, I live with roommates and you as well, and that that is sort of the norm. Where with other people that I've helped, it's like, no, I don't want to live with roommates. And I'm like, well, it's because you never had to go through that little bit of sacrifice. Um, that that makes it okay, right? Correct. Um, so then you basically, um, we'll do how how we usually do the podcast too. Who were you in high school? I know you were. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So in high school and like middle school, I was a lot smaller. I was bullied in a in a way. Uh, I was so. What now? As I'm older, I totally under. I totally get it. Like I was too white for the Hispanic folk, for a better for for lack of a better words. Like the Latino community didn't really see me as part of them. And then obviously the you know the Americans, los Americanos in high school didn't see me as an American because I was in limbo. I spoke perfect English and Spanish, but both like communities really didn't know what to do with me, uh, i.e. entrepreneur, right? Uh, so it was kind of like I was in a limbo spot. So a lot of people say, you know, you fear what you don't know. So that's kind of what I was. I was kind of like, who is this guy? He lo- he talks like us, but isn't us. Uh, so I was kind of bullied uh, in high school and college, or I'm sorry, in uh, middle school and high school a little. Uh, and then I just started playing sports, uh, and then crazy as crazy as I'll get out, I got kicked out of high school when I was in tenth grade. Uh, oh shoot! For yeah, yeah, you knew this, right? No, no, I did not. No, no, I did not know that. I didn't know you didn't know this. Wow, I could have told you. Yeah, I got kicked. I got kicked out of high school when I was in tenth grade for selling dope. Oh man! Yeah, <laughs> I didn't know continue, you didn't know this. Continue. I did not know that. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So this is, I don't think I've ever told this story on, on a podcast. So I was kicked out of high school in 10th grade for selling dope. I went to an alternative school for two years or from, sorry, for a year. So I went to literally, I don't know why, why the board of education thinks this is a good idea, but I went to a school where they throw everyone who's not able to go to like jail yet, but still has to get an education because of the way the laws are written. So they put all these bad kids basically in one school, Mm. which is called an alternative school. So basically, I had to get on the bus at 5.30 in the morning, go downtown, in uh, like on a Monday morning, imagine Sunday night, everyone's out drinking in Nashville, Tennessee. Everyone's still on the streets at 5.30, and I'm sitting there at 16 trying to catch a bus, a city bus, to get to a school by 8 a.m., and if you don't get into the school by 8, 8.15, most people, as myself, were on probation at that time with a probation officer. Um they send you to jail or juvenile if you don't get to school by the right time. So if the bus was late, it was your fault. 
Um, so I did that for a year uh, before I got to go back and finish high school. Wow. And yeah. what was what was the craziest experience uh, in that alternative school? Oh, man, I cannot believe we've never talked about this. This is yeah. how far deep this is. Um, this is going to blow your mind. The craziest thing I ever saw uh, was this young lady uh, was being picked on in, high, in, in school at the alternative school. Uh, and no one knew that she actually this is not podcast material. Uh, so this is going to be a juicy one. She was hiding a razor blade in her cheek. Adentro de su boca. Uh, wow. and she was telling the girl like, Hey, leave me alone. Hey, leave me alone. Like, I don't, I don't want to talk to you. Leave me alone. Uh, and, uh, after school, you're going to be, you're going to be sad that you asked me this question after school. Um, uh, listener beware. They were outside of the school. The girl gave her one last shove and the girl that was getting picked on turned around, took the blade out of her mouth and just like slashed her face. And the oh last thing God. I remember seeing is her like cheek just like fall down. Oh my God. All right. You, this you is, asked. Uh, I did ask. Man. Yeah, that was, I, I was, I, I don't think I've ever talked about that kind of, that, that yeah. 16 year old Felipe back when I was in, in alternative school in high school. Next time you're in Nashville, I'll drive you by the yeah. school. Uh, but yeah, man, it's nuts. So that was, that was me in high school, man. I was huge troublemaker. Uh, you know me. I'm, I have a very small filter on my mouth. Like if yeah. any at all, I'm, I'm open and I'm going to tell it how it is. Uh, it's gotten me in trouble a couple of times, but, um, I know. Yeah, dude. So. That's me in high school. <laughs> <laughs> Man. So then, okay. So you went, you, you were there for a year. You went back yeah. to regular high school. And then after that, um, what, what, what happened next? Sure. So college, after that. What was that? Yeah. So after that, I, I went back to uh, school, graduated high school. Um, I was in a Christian school because uh, public schools wouldn't take me back. I was a uh, liability to the school. Understood. Went to a Christian school. A guy took a took a leap of faith on me. Finished school, and then I took a year off before going to college. And I think this is important. I wish a lot of people would do this, uh, so you can kind of find where you're at. It's really hard. I always give the example of like, dude, it's really hard for kids to go from like having to raise your hand to go to the bathroom to like three months later after summer break choosing the career path for the rest of your life. Like that just seems really dumb to me. So I took a year off. Uh, and I started working, I started making money. And in that year I bought a mobile home, my dream car, like the whole thing. And, uh, and that's what I did after high school before going to college. I took a year off, took a year off. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so you bought a mobile home. What, what career were, or not career, but what, what did you do while you were working? Um, that, yeah, so that year? I, I went, I went and worked on the construction sites. Uh, I didn't have a real skill, so they handed me a broom. What was cool with that, though, is that I had a lot of time to listen to podcasts, which was like Bigger Pockets, uh, you know, Graham Stephan and some of these other people on YouTube and just kind of like learning finances. Uh, and then something that I wasn't realizing that I was doing is I was making connections with contractors and listening to the conversation of adults when it comes to money. And I was like, wow, I'm getting like the school of hard knocks out here because this is real. Like th I, I like this is awesome. Um, so that's what I was doing. I was on the construction site, you know, hard labor, making, making my money the hard way, but definitely learning, uh, just as much as I was making. And is that the time where you met that mentor that you always mention? or was uh, that Dom, no. Later? So I met, I met Dom, my mentor at a church about, oh God, maybe eight years ago. So okay. it was definitely, it was during college or like right after. Okay. Okay. So then you bought your mobile home. Did you house hack the mo mobile home or what was it? Yeah. So I actually, um, 
so the mobile home came partially from my mom as a, as a high school graduating gift. Cool. And the other half I had to pay for. Um, and yes, she gave me my first renter, which, which is still with me to this day. He's been with me for a long time. Somebody do the math. He's paid me $500 since I was 18 and I'm 31. So someone do that math. He's paid me that much money in rent. Um, and I haven't gone up on renting him ever anyway. So yeah, he lived with me at the mobile home. I then bought my first single family home. Eventually we'll get into that. And he lived with me there. And now he still lives at one of my rental properties. Uh, and he's a painter. So he's painted just about all my, uh, all my, all my investments. That's nice. That's nice. So yeah, what man. did you, um, in college, what did you study? Yeah. So I went for sociology, uh, double majored in criminal justice, or I'm sorry, sociology CJ with sociology, criminal justice with a double major in Spanish. My Spanish was just like six months of test taking, which was really simple. So I got a double major. So any of you college students that are bilingual, go get a double in your second language and it just looks good on paper. It's actually sitting up there. Oh, cool. Dude, I didn't even think about that. So tip for everybody here. If you speak a second language really well, take the test, get a you, second you degree. Just go get a double. Yeah, it takes six months. You get a bunch of tests, though. It's basically going to be like a class of tests. It kind of sucked, but looks good on paper. Double major. Yeah, that's good. So then you graduated and what happened next? Yeah, so I graduated college. I wanted to be a police officer. That was like my dream goal, right? Like mm -hmm. I wanted to be a police officer. I couldn't wait. I wanted to give back to the community that I had like taken from and like sold drugs to and all that dumb stuff. Um, and so what I did was I was like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. So I actually graduated college in three years, not four. Uh, I graduated with like a 2.5 or something, but I graduated super early and my degree, my, my, my GPA is not on my degree. So it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> I then went to apply for the police department. I applied for the police department. That took about six months. During that time, I was a translator for the public school system because mm. um, I had the double major. Uh, and then um, I was able to get into the academy three days into the academy. Uh, the trainer there, the, the, the FTO field training officer was like, we have enough Latinos in this police uh, academy. And one of them is a Puerto Rican woman who speaks Spanish and English. So she marks all the check marks that we have to have. Felipe, you're good to go. Told me to leave. Damn. Just like that. <laughs> and what was that feeling when you were when like you go through this all the schooling everything and you're like okay this is what i'm gonna do this is what i worked for this is what i paid to study yeah. and yeah. then you go there and then they just reject you like that for really man, no Diego, reason you're, you're a good you're a good podcaster man you you really listen to understand people's, people's answers uh, um it felt like crap dude uh i felt like i was in a telenovela for you guys that, are, that, that don't know what that means it's a soap opera basically I was like, haha, like, okay, that's funny. Like, he's just giving me banter or whatever. Uh, so I came back the next day and he actually pink slipped me and said, if you come back, I'm going to get you for trespassing on the grounds. And I was like, oh, snap, he was serious. Um, so I left, basically cried all the way home. And then uh, it, it was, I don't know if you're on, if, if people are on TikTok, but on TikTok right now, there's like this like meme thing going around that's like, where, where it's like God talking to you and it's like, oh God, I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. And he's like, oh, how exciting. And that's kind of how it felt. It was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do now. Like it was literally like all the doors had closed that I thought I was going to do. Like my life had literally shut down. I don't know how to explain it other than I felt like I was in a room with no door or windows, just four walls. And I was like, wait, what now? Like that was my only strategy, mm -hmm. uh, which was really cool. At, at Once I got past like the, the emotional part, it was really cool because I was like, wait, now I can do whatever I want. Oh, this is awesome. And it's something that I've been telling you, Diego, like, mm -hmm. I know that you love being a realtor, but the day that you quit being a realtor, the next week is going to probably be the scariest time of your life. But the week after is going to be exciting. 
because mm-hmm. you're going to be like, oh man, my brain is open now. I can do whatever I want. And you're really smart. So that was what happened to me. So <laughs> naturally enough, I just, I was like, okay. So I started making money as an Uber, Lyft driver, uh, all the rideshare things. I started Airbnb being my house. Uh, I had bought a single family home by this time. Um, I had Airbnb in my house and I was like, all right, I'm going to tap into the, uh, like the shared economy thing. Um, and I was like, okay, so I did Uber, Lyft, Airbnb. I was making good money with all these things. Um, and I was listening to podcasts, uh, you know, bigger pockets and, and, and all the real estate ones. Um, and then I realized like, okay, real estate's the way to go. So I quit all my jobs, (laughs) red flag, number one to do real estate. And then I went to get a loan and they were like, you don't have a job. And I was like, oh, snap. Like, that's right. That sucks. So, um, again, in this time, the police department telling me no was when I figured out basically like my investing motto, which is no why, right? So it's like, this was the only time that I left the police department without asking why. Like, I just accepted the no, you're not Mm going to be a cop, but I didn't ask why. And I've never done that again. Has it hurt Mm -hmm. some of my business relationships? Maybe like now, but I think it's also like created a barrier against like me uh, just taking no as an answer. It's like, okay, no is fine. Like I get it, but I want to know, I want an explanation as to why you're telling me no. And I didn't do that at the police department. So I still don't have a rhyme or reason why he kicked me out. Um, so going forward, I've just lived my life in business based on that no why concept. Because I think that that is definitely something that people can always like that if they hear this podcast, this is something that when they hear a no in the future, right? Again, in real estate, whether it is a lender, whether it is a property manager or whatever, right? Um, Mm -hmm. with, with any, with anything in life, I feel like just asking for that why can give you something that you can learn from. And uh, and some things that you can explore from from that perspective. So, um, okay. So then, uh, you were speaking with a lender to to try to get a loan. And by this mm-hmm. time, you said that you are you already had one property, but you were trying to get a second property as an investment. Um, what happened from that perspective when the lender told you no? So the lender told me no, uh, and by now I had learned that I was going to always ask why. So I was like, okay, that's fine. I understand the no, but why? And she's like. You don't have a job, a W-2, you don't have the right credit score, and you don't have enough cash reserves. Okay, I can work on two of those now, cash reserves and my credit. So got those two up, but I wasn't going to go back to get a W-2, so I immediately started an LLC that needed a season for two years. So I said, okay, I'm not going to be able to get into real estate for two years. But I just accepted that fact because I didn't have the information that's in these books here, if you're watching. (laughs) Um, So for those that are watching, I have books above my head in my little library here, And, uh, you know, that would have saved me two years or a mastermind. Oh my gosh. If I had like rat race or some of these masterminds, when I started, I wouldn't have waited two years to get into real estate anyways. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, so I started an LLC immediately. I became a founder of the LLC, but I also became an employee of the LLC. I started running all my money through the LLC and saving as much cash reserves as I could afford to buy my first rental property. After two years, boom, I bought my first rental property and I went the highest thing that I could get, which was a six unit apartment complex as my first actual rental deal. Hmm. Okay. And what were you doing for with, with your LLC? 
like what, uh, what I was just jobs? pumping money through it. I'm sure oh, it was okay. like illegal as crap, but I was just <laughs> pumping all my money <laughs> through it uh-huh. to have like to show income. That to, I didn't yeah. know what I was doing to show, the but income. I was just exactly. I was yeah. just pumping money through it. Anything yeah. that it tips, anything I got mm-hmm. deposited into, into the, the LLC. LLC. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's good. And so, okay, so tell us about the six about the sixplex. What were the yeah, numbers? So, Why did you buy it? How how did you find it? All of that. Yeah, so uh, I went to school, college in Cookville, Tennessee, and I knew that the rental market was really good there. So I just started looking literally on realtor.com for that, uh, for like a property out there that I could afford. And I saw this six unit for $220,000. And I, yeah, I know it was really good. So I talked to a bank out there and was like, hey, my LLC is, uh, you know, I knew now that basically all banks run off the same cookie cutter. So she was like credit score, cash reserves, and two years of, of, of self-employment. So I was able to show that. And I opened a bank account at that lady's bank. And, uh, and she said, okay, it's 25% down, five years. I was like, done. I don't even care. Uh, Diego, you're asking me the numbers? I don't know. It was 220,000 cash. Uh, or 220,000, I had to put 25% down. And I knew the rents were coming in at like uh, $4,220. And my Ooh. mortgage was going to be 1500 bucks. So that's it. That's all I knew. Um, I don't even know if I had insurance on the property. I'm sure the bank made me, but I was so not knowing what the hell I was doing. Uh, mm-hmm. So I just, I just went in. I mean, I knew I was only 24, 25 years old. Okay. So I was like, I, worst case scenario, I lose 25% of my down payment and then that's it. Which like, is around 40,000 anyway. Which is like 40K. 50, I was like, look, I'm 25. Uh, I'm going to figure this out. And I'd rather try this now than at 60. Mm-hmm. So I did. I bought it for 220, um, renovated it for like 10,000 bucks, just little stuff here and there, kicked out bad tenants, put in good tenants. Uh, and then I ended up selling it a year later for like 290. Okay, cool. And you manage that property yourself? Yeah, I did, which is the worst decision of my life. Uh, that's <laughs> super stupid. Uh, I didn't, I didn't, I shouldn't have done that. Okay. And, uh, and you sold it a year later. Why just to cash out or you didn't, you didn't yeah, want to so, do the, the multi? Yeah. Great question. So I actually found out my why. Mm. So I, I knew, I, oops, I knew my, my reason to, or my reason to like, or like how to do stuff. Like my no why came out. And then afterwards I found out like the reason that I'm doing real estate was because I wanted, uh, financial independence, and, uh, and I wanted to be, what do, what do you always call it? Um, time freedom, like, uh, place to, de- um, dependent. You always say it. Location um, independent, location independent. So I knew that having a six unit not managed by myself, uh, was the worst thing I could have done. And I figured that because I called a couple of property managers in the area and they were like, yeah, we're not going to manage that property. And I was like, Oh, sh- why? Uh, <laughs> like, okay. why? This must be a really bad area. Uh, so I didn't do my due diligence there. Uh, anyway, so yeah, I just quickly, uh, realized that they, it was producing great cash flow, like over a thousand bucks a month. It was fantastic for my first deal, but it was a lot of hands-on and I quickly realized that's not why I wanted to get into real estate. So, uh, I did something crazy and I, I sold it, made, uh, I think like over a hundred thousand in profit. And by now I had saved up another hundred thousand by just like hustling. Like my calluses don't lie. I uh, saved up another hundred thousand in that year that I had it. And it, and it appraised or, and it sold for a hundred thousand or, or, or 80,000 or whatever it was over. And I put all that money together and I bought one single family house in Nashville cash, uh, cash. Yeah. And it gave me a little bit more cash flow than the other house, but I bought this one cash. Uh, and that basically made me all the money monthly that my, my little 
side hustles were doing for me. So mm. now I put all my side hustles away, made my money in real estate, my first cash flow producing asset that was paid off. And I use that to continue my portfolio with a HELOC. Got it. Got it. Got it. And what is a HELOC for the people here listening? Cool. So uh, a, or I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. I, I got a line of credit on it. So a home equity line of credit is for your personal resident. A line of credit is uh, a credit that you use on a rental property or any asset that's producing some type of cash flow. Um, you can leverage it, right? So I leveraged my house that's paid off. That was worth 180 for a $150,000 line of credit that now I use that line of credit to purchase more rental properties. Got it. Got it. And with that, uh, with that line of credit, uh, what do you pay? Like, what are the numbers so that, so that the audience can know if, if, if a line of credit is something that they do want to get? So the line of credit is, is let me, let me say why, how I use it. So I got the line of credit from a bank leveraged against a cash flow producing asset, the house, and I use it, uh, so that I can put down payments on rental properties as they come about. Most of the time, People are like, oh, here's a good deal. I need to save up the money to buy that property. I don't do that. So I save up money just in general because uh, I have a family, obviously, uh, here over my left shoulder or right shoulder. But um, the reason that I have a line of credit is because when Diego or Philip or or business partners call me and say, hey, Felipe, would you like into this deal? It's a great cash flow producing fill in the blank. I can automatically say yes because I know I have the line of credit available. Now, some of our listeners here are going to be like, well, you still got to pay it off. So how are you going to do that? And it's like, well, what's good about having the line of credit is now I have the option to say yes when most of the time people are stressing about because they don't have enough money to jump into deals. And that's why they lose deals. I now have the option to get the deal and figure out the payment later, right? Like I can flip a house. I can wholesale a deal. I can refinance a property. I can borrow the money, whatever. But now I have options. And that is what makes a good real estate investor, right? Now you have the options uh, to pay that money back. Now it's not just like, oh my gosh, I lost a deal because I didn't have enough money saved up. Yeah. And for the audience here, uh, with the lines of credits or with, with a HELOC at least too, um, you pay interest only payments, right? If you want. So, uh, which is very helpful because then at that point and the, and the interests are going to be under 5%. Um, so that gives people that flexibility that it's, uh, that it's literally just, interest only payments and you can pay it back off whenever you want. Uh, of course, Correct. there's yep. that timeline of five or 10 years, uh, yep. but at least it's there, right? It's like mm -hmm. a credit card. Um, and then the cool part about the line of credit is that you're not paying tax, I mean, you're not paying interest unless you use oh. it, which is the difference Correct. from like the birth strategy, which at that point you refinance a property and now you're paying taxes and now you have $50,000 in the bank, for example, uh, but you are paying all of that interest, I'm sorry. Um, so that's what's really cool about the line of credit. Yeah, it's, it's awesome because you have that money available. So like, let's say that Tom and Timmy both have a property value 200,000. Tom and Timmy both walk into the bank and they request, uh, you know, one requests a refi of 150,000 and one requests a line of credit of 150,000 on the same exact property. Tom and Timmy walk out with both of those having the availability to that money, but one of them is going to walk out paying interest the next month. And one of them is going to walk out paying nothing, um, until they find a deal that they need to use that money for. And both of them kept that money in the bank anyways. 
So that's, the, I mean, Timmy didn't walk out with 150K cash and Tom didn't leave the money there. They both left it in a bank account. And I think that's the difference between the, 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 the burst strategy and the line of credit strategy. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's very smart. So then Felipe, what, um, so you bought that property and uh, what, what happened next? How, how did you continue to grow your portfolio? Yeah, so uh, the first thing that I did was I, I had, so I had access to my line of credit. I kept reading books, kept listening, kept educating myself. Um, so then I went and bought another single family home with the line of credit. I pulled from the line of credit, used that as a down payment, got the next house, continued to work, used my worked income to pay off my line of credit. My cash flow started funding my life. So my assets started funding my life slowly while my W-2 worked income, which is basically my time for money, paid off my line of credit. Line of credit paid off, even though I didn't have to pay it off, it did start getting paid off. And then I would use that to continue to buy single family homes, converting them into duplexes. Like I told the story earlier where my mom created the basement into a living space. Uh, and then basically I got tapped out on loans, transferred into partnerships. Uh, partnerships continued to allow me to scale. Uh, and yeah, that's how basically my portfolio continued to grow. I just kind of used the ground basics that I learned and I just kept expanding and building on that. Yeah, and it's really cool that you mentioned that once you tapped out on the amount of loans that you can get, you didn't say, mm -hmm. well, I'm done buying houses. You were able yeah. to find another way, which is tapping into the tap, tapping into a business partner that can be bankable, that can add loans um, mm -hmm. to their name. And for example, uh, the one that you and I have on Fannie yes. in, in Antioch. Um, mm -hmm. That one, we partnered up and what's important about this one, and the reason why I want to share this 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 story too, is because the power of of being able to partner with somebody that brings value that one person might have and the other person might may may not, right? So in this case, when we partnered up, I bought the property with my loan, right? But you manage the property because the property is Correct. I'm in Austin and you're in Tennessee, um, so we leverage that part. I, you leverage my ability to get bankable and I leverage, number one, your knowledge and you are managing that property too and you, you found the tenants and you already know Correct. the whole market, how, how to deal with that. So for me, it was a no-brainer. Uh, so just, just for, for the people here too, we bought it for 215 during mm -hmm. like- 218 after everything. 218, yeah, yeah, 218. After, after, after everything right when COVID started too, or like it was about to start, remember? So uh, yeah, we bought it back in February of 2020 and then boom, COVID yep. started. Uh, and then we are able to rent out, uh, Felipe was able to um, fix and make, add extra rooms downstairs in the basement and now is rented out for 2450, I believe. Um, uh, yep. Yeah. Yeah, so so it's really good because property taxes in Nash in Tennessee are are low compared to Austin. Yep. So we actually get pretty pretty good cash flow from from that perspective. Um, cool, Felipe. So then, um, when did you decide that you wanted to leave your moving company? That you wanted to close that moving company? Because when I met you, um, I actually reached out on Instagram through your moving company and you never responded to me. Here we go. And uh, yeah, Here I was like, go. hey, Felipe, heard you in Bigger Pockets. I would love to chat and no response until <laughs> later. But sure. uh, yeah, when, when did you decide that you wanted to leave the moving company? 
Yeah, so I keep talking about my W-2 job, which was really like that I worked for my moving company. So I owned a moving company. Uh, it was another one of those side hustles, basically. Uh, became a six-figure moving company, and I just kind of ran with that one and closed everything else out. Um, I quit my moving company at the beginning of COVID, right? Actually, right around the same time we bought our house, um, when my wife looked at the Excel sheet and that my cash flow from my assets over made more than my bills. So my mortgage, my bills, our credit card, our average cost of living was now being taken care of by our cash flow properties. So we were like, okay, so we tried it for one or two months and it, it worked. Like, I mean, we weren't out having lobster every night and I wasn't, I didn't have a red Ferrari in my garage, but my bills were paid. And that was a, another light bulb moment. And I quit my job. And I, again, it's like I dumped. So if, if I'm using, you know, a 10% of my brain to, towards real estate and 90% towards uh, the moving company, I dropped the 90% and my, my, I cleared up. Like I had, I was like, okay. I, and, and, and I had already done this before, but I was forced to do it when I was a police, when I wanted to be a police officer. And now it was, it was okay to do it. I was like, oh, I can do this. Uh, so I quit my moving company. Now, like I said, we weren't eating lobster every day, but you know, I frijolitos in la casa and we were just fine. Uh, uh -huh. and so I quit my job. Uh, yeah. and I was able to focus on real estate and that's what really exploded kind of like my investing from there. Now I'm into, uh, you know, uh, larger multifamily deals and, uh, you know, STRs and Gatlinburg uh, cabins and things of that nature. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I, once, once I reached financial independence, uh, the first million dollars, like they say is the hardest from mm -hmm. there, so forth and so on is kind of inevitable. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's definitely interesting. And in, in you built, so you were able to get financially independent then. Um, sure. Yeah. You basically, and that's why we call it rat race to FI. You basically left the rat race and mm -hmm. became financially independent. And that's why we, we created rat race for. So, Correct. Yeah. So then for you, Felipe, what um one one of the things that we haven't talked about on the podcast has been the the Airbnb. Uh, so briefly, share us about your experience with that, because I feel the audience yeah. will find that very valuable. Sure. So you leveraged my knowledge of uh, these cash flow producing houses in Antioch, which we didn't talk about. What do those do? Like a thousand bucks a month or something yeah, like that? Yeah, a thousand bucks a month. In so cash. right at about a thousand bucks. So. Then I realized that you were doing some deals in Gatlinburg. You were getting cabins or, or um, multifamily or cabins together out there, some, some duplexes, and I wanted in on that. So you got me introduced to your business partner. That deal didn't necessarily work out because there was, a, there was too many uh, cooks in the kitchen already. But again, that doesn't mean that I, I, I wasn't going to do it. You've introduced me to the knowledge. Now it's my responsibility what I'm going to do with that, which is what we teach in Rat Race, right? Diego got me basically, uh, you know, a seat at the table. Uh, I was just sitting in the wrong chair. There was already too many, too many people there. So I was like, okay, it doesn't mean I'm not going to do this. So it took me about a year. No, probably less, about six months. So I figured it out. And then I went back and uh, I bought, I started buying cabins in Gatlinburg to rent on Airbnb uh, that, that do very well cash flow wise. Uh, they are hands-on. It is like a job almost, if you will. Um, but that's okay. Remember, I have time now. So I was able to take those on because the, the cash flow definitely pays off. Yeah. And you partner up with somebody too for that, right? Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm all in on partnerships going forward. Yeah. Uh, that's definitely the way to grow and scale for that fast. Yeah. And what, um, 
what what what's next for you then with everything that we have like with everything that we do uh what uh what is next for you so i think right now i'm at the point where my business can continue to scale uh just kind of organically mm -hmm. i'm not actually having to put in a ton of time uh, you know, people bring me deals or people ask me for partnerships just because I have a track record of producing cash flow, producing assets to my business partners uh, and not losing their money. Mm -hmm. um, so I get deals kind of uh, uh, presented to me. And then from there, uh, I think next is really just focusing on Rat Race to Fi, the mastermind, where we can impact and, and influence other people's lives to also get out of the rat race and show them that it is definitely possible. Yeah. Um, and specifically for, for, uh, to, to educate, right. Those yeah. people, um, yeah. we're definitely in the e-com space and, um, you know, we're helping people in that regard. Yeah. Uh, just finding different ways to, uh, make more money to get out of the rat race. Yeah. And now, uh, cause I know you're also wholesaling. Mm -hmm. And so now you're doing, so you have your long-term rentals, you have your Airbnb, you're also wholesaling. And I feel like wholesaling for some people is like, oh, I don't want to do it uh, because it's too much work or I don't have the time, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but you've been able to, or some people say, I cannot, I cannot invest in this market because I can't find deals, right? That's, that's the thing that, that a lot of people say, oh, the deals are not out there. Uh, but you've been wholesaling. Um, and it has gone, and it's going pretty well. I see you on your, on, on your Instagram too and everything. What are the, the tools that you use for, for wholesaling? Sure. So I, let's find out where I heard about wholesaling. So yeah. wholesaling kind of became inevitable for me for two reasons. One, uh, Diego Corzo, one of my business partners told me that I would probably suck at being a realtor because I would get my license taken away. Immediately. Yes, you Just, would. <laughs> you would. I wouldn't be the best realtor because I would definitely tiptoe that like fiduciary line. Uh -huh, uh, for sure. I don't know that I could be faithful to one uh, client. <laughs> so I was like, there's got to be another way. Uh, and then you introduced me to your brother at a mastermind that we had in Gulf Shores. Mm -hmm. uh, your brother Gonzalo was there as a speaker and I was like mind blown that he was in real estate but didn't have any real estate. He was selling real estate without a license but never actually buying the property. I was like, this is me all day. That like gray line, yeah. like this yeah. is me. Um, <laughs> so you put us in the same room and again, it was up to me to take action on that. Um, so he gave me a very 30,000 foot view on wholesaling in one night over beers. Um, I don't know how much of that he meant to tell me, you know, he was a little loosey goosey. Um, and I ran with that. So it took me about six months to like really engulf myself in learning and learning and learning. And again, I was able to do this cause I had the time cause I wasn't working. So I learned wholesaling and I said, okay, so passive income gives you financial independent, but it doesn't give you like Ferrari money. It doesn't give you like you know, I want to go out and eat lobster every single night type of money. Um, it just gives you FI money. Like you're okay, but you're not, you don't have like fun money to go buy Teslas and this and that. So I have found that most real estate investors have some type of side business like wholesaling that gives them large amounts of money for, for utilizing the knowledge that they already have in real estate. So I basically just had to shift my mindset of, this is how you, this is the process of a real estate deal. I can wholesale these if I find them on my own. So I use three services. I use PropStream, Asana, and Mojo Dialer. Those are the three softwares that I use 
to wholesale. And then I just use a virtual assistant cold caller to cold call all the leads uh, and I and they convert them into hot leads for me, the ones that do want to sell. And I spend about four to six hours a week calling the leads and closing deals. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really cool because you've been able to create it in a form that you leverage other people too. Like you're working mm-hmm. with Adam, you have your virtual assistant, uh, which, which I think is great. And guys, if you reach out to Felipe on IG, uh, he will share um, a link for, for um, <clears throat> the link for PropStream, right? Um, so that you can sign up. And, and we'll probably as well as virtual assistant cold. cold callers. Yes, yeah. For virtual as well as if you need too. a virtual assistant cold caller, you're more than welcome to reach out to me on Instagram, and I will get you. I will uh, hook you up with one. Yeah, because the best part about that is that they will get you. The the VA will give you warm leads that then you'll be able to just call. This way, if you do have a full time job, you, once you're done or during your lunch time, you can just focus on calling those those warm leads, and uh, and go from there. So cool. So Felipe, how, how many homes have you wholesale already? So, uh, man, I've lost track. Uh, our, we, we've put a financial goal on it. We'd like to make, uh, over a hundred thousand our first year wholesaling. So, uh, I, I know in some, in, in, in some people's mind, it's like, holy crap, that's a lot of money. And in some people's mind is like, you should be doing that every three months. Um, our goal was a hundred thousand in the first year. And we feel like we got a grasp on it. What was funny was, our first wholesale deal uh, was like 12 grand and we split it in half with someone else because we didn't know how to do this. Like we literally jumped in and we had to have someone else walk us through the process. Um, and then from there, we've kind of done our own deals going forward. But uh, that, that was kind of like our trajectory. So we were like, okay, if we did that one, we can do this. And then we did a second and a third deal and we were like, okay, if this deals closes, then we're really on to something. And now we're on like eight or nine or something. So we know our systems are working, but, uh, but yeah. That's cool. And Felipe, and, and we'll like end it here pretty soon, but sure. um, the role that you play with your businesses, right? You mentioned that you're also very, like you, you're actively in it, but you think you're like the visionary, right? It's like that book, Correct. you think and grow rich. And I feel like mm-hmm. the partnerships that you've created um, especially with me, because I'm involved in like 90% of all the companies that sure. that you've created recently. It's <laughs> yep. more like we we play different roles, and I feel like that's important too for for the audience to know. Is that important? I mean, is that is the importance of the role that each key member plays uh, with your business partners? So, can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So earlier you had mentioned a mentor of mine named Dom and my mentor basically taught me like, Hey, if you're going to go chop down a tree with an ax, an ax has two sides. It has the blunt side and it has the the sharp side. You're not going to attack that tree with the blunt side. You're going to attack it with the sharp side. And if you get a partner on the other side of the tree, you guys are going to chop it down twice as fast. But when you think about it, we're using the opposite side of, of, of an ax. So you're using the left, I'm using the right, depending on what side we're on, but neither one of us is attacking that tree with the back side of the ax. So what he was telling me was like, hey, you have one strength and it's gonna take you a certain amount of time to chop down a tree. And if you get a partner, you can chop it down twice as fast if each of you use your opposite strengths. And it made sense because 
a lot of people say like work on your weaknesses, which is probably the most foolish advice I've ever heard. I've always thought it's better to just maximize your strengths and leverage your weaknesses. So as, as a lot of people know, me and you are in a lot of business together. Um, you are the implementer. I am the visionary. And we work well together because I can shotgun blast you ideas and you can pick the ones that you know will work based on like systems and processes that need to be put in place to make deals work. Uh, and I can just continue to throw ideas at you. Uh, I can have ideas, but I'll never be able to put them down on paper. And half the time, I can't even like try to explain what I have in my mind. And you're just kind of like picking up the pieces like, okay, I kind of understand what he means. So it's really important <coughs> when you're into when you're going to scale, if you're partnering with people to find those who like complement your weaknesses because if you pick two implementers or two visionaries, then a lot's going to be talked about. Nothing is going to get done. Or two implementers, they're going to have a lot of great like systems and processes, but no one to cast vision over mm -hmm. like that concrete, right? Exactly. Um, so that that's what I would say on 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 partnerships. Yeah. And what 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 else have you learned from your mentor Dom that you're like, hey, if these are like the top two things that I've learned from him that have been a huge influence in my life. So 100% the first one would be uh, strength and weaknesses. Like he's always taught me about like, don't try to like get better at, you know, your biggest weakness because you could be focusing that time on sharpening your strength already. Mm -hmm. uh, that would be one. Man, I've never been asked that. There's so much knowledge that he's given me. Um, I think the next one is going to be like the value of your time and say no basically to everything unless it's a hell yes so if it's a maybe say no if it's a no say no if it's something that's that doesn't add complete value to your life say no like everything should be a no because and this is key because every yes to anyone else is a no to your family or to you personally if you're single like yes i'm gonna take that meeting so no son i can't play with you for an hour because someone wants to have coffee. But it's like, is this meeting going to put money in my bank account, bring me better health or wealth? Like, why are we having this meeting? So if it's either, a, everything needs to be a no until it's a hell yes. Mm -hmm. I like that. I like that. Because at that point, you're valuing your time. And like, like you mentioned, any time that you are not, that you're doing something else, it's saying no to your family. So I like that too. Right. I, I like it from, from that perspective. The um, last question, sure. what is something that I should have asked you that I haven't asked you yet? Or what is something that you wish I had asked you? Um, that's a good one. Um, a lot of people want to know how to get started in real estate investing without any money. And if I were to do it all over and start over again, I would start wholesaling first. Instead of spending those two years trying to get money and save up for a property, I would have started wholesaling. So I think if you are at the bottom of the barrel and you're just like scrounging to get started, I would read and listen to every wholesaling opportunity that you can. Cool. And I think that that is definitely, I think that that's definitely a great opportunity because the income Or be a realtor like Diego. Or be a realtor, realtor or wholesale, depending depending what kind of yeah. like person you are. Yeah, and I think too, at the end of the day, it's a job, right? And it's very sure. lucrative. Both are a job. Yeah, sure. exactly. So a lot of people say, "Hey, I want to get into, I want to be an investor," um, 
but at, but if you don't have enough money yet, definitely wholesale because you need to build your money machine. That is something that's very right. important for me. Yes. The being the realtor has given me a lot of opportunity in being able to create income uh, because at that point is you get paid the amount that you hustle, right? So from that perspective, um, I that's how I've been able to find my my deals too, uh, just by having that that high income, uh, which right. is more than I yeah like it's there is there is a lot of opportunity so cool felipe well it has been a pleasure having you here and uh, having you share your story especially with the audience and i got to learn uh that story of you in high school that i had never heard before so we i didn't know you didn't know a little that. bit better yeah dude never 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 uh well there you go so so cool well thank you uh we will see you guys in the next podcast The Rap Race to Buy podcast, where we discuss money, mindset, real estate investing, and ways to achieve financial independence. Whether you are a rookie or a veteran needing new ideas for investing or creating side hustles, you're in the right place.